I'm Adam Powney, a gay man serving as an army reservist. This Pride, BFBS is celebrating how far our armed forces have come from accepting to welcoming to championing their LGBTQ service personnel. This time I'm catching up with Brigadier Claire Phillips CBE. Since joining the Royal Military Academy in 1995, she's enjoyed a decorated career with the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers and beyond encompassing the ban on LGBTQ plus personnel and a huge cultural shift she's since observed. So Claire, first of all, I'd love for you to tell me a bit about yourself and your army career so far. Thanks, Adam. So uh, my name's Claire Phillips. I had the privilege of joining the army in 1995 uh, when I went through the Royal Military Academy in Sanders for the 12 months of army officer training. Uh, after that, I was commissioned into the Corps of Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. So that's the part of the Army that conducts all of the repair, maintenance and inspection of the Army's equipment. So everything from a set of binoculars to a Challenger 2 tank, a rifle and an Apache helicopter. It's the REMI, the, the Corps of Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers, that, that maintains all of that equipment and, keep, and keeps all of that equipment in the hands of the user uh, whenever and wherever they might need it. And so I thoroughly enjoyed the early stages of my career as a REMI officer. Uh, I was fortunate enough to deploy on operations to, to Bosnia as part of my, my first uh, assignment to Germany. Uh, and I had a brilliant time getting to know and understand what the army was all about through my initial period of time in the army. I've then progressed through my career and I've had the opportunity to uh, command REMI soldiers as a platoon commander, as a workshop commander, as a captain as a company commander, as a major, and as a battalion commander, as a lieutenant colonel. And then the pinnacle of my, the reamy part of my career was when I was the first woman in the army to be appointed to be a corps colonel, which means you become the representational head of your tribe in the army, my tribe being the reamy. And that enabled me to travel all around the world, meeting brilliant reamy soldiers and officers and understanding even more about the role that they perform and then seeking to support them in that role. Alongside my REMI role, I've specialised in personnel. Uh, and so a lot of my time has been spent providing roles in the recruiting organisation, in the training organisation, and, and most recently and most, uh, most frequently in the Army's career management organisation, uh, a significant part of which is in the Army Personnel Centre up in Glasgow. And so the job that I do today is effectively as the second in command of the Army Personnel Centre my role is titled the Deputy Military Secretary, and I fulfil that role as a, a brigadier, a, a one-star officer in the army. What a career, blimey. You must have seen some serious change for, over the years. Let's go right back. You said you joined in 95. Back then, you could be dismissed for being a gay woman. How did you cope with that at the time? I find it really interesting to think about how I viewed that time then, and how I view that time now. And so when I think back to 1995, I completely agree with you, and you're absolutely right, that it had been for many years illegal to be gay in the army, with an incredible number of people having suffered significant humiliation, poor treatment, uh, leading to discharge from the army, but and of course our sister services in the, the RAF and the Navy, because of their homosexuality. At the point at which I joined in 1995, and I, I suspect for a number of years before that, much of the way in which the army operated in regard to someone being gay in, in the army 
I think had many parallels to how civilian society operated. So I think about how I conducted myself in the army and I was incredibly private about who I went home to, where I was at the weekend, the people I played sport with and, and went, you know, socialised with. But equally, I would be incredibly private about who those people were with any of my civilian friends as well, because it wasn't, it just wasn't a time when you could be open about such things without being really, really careful. So I think it's important to recognise the process of the travel and through time and how everything from a civilian perspective and a military perspective has, has changed. But when I think back to 1995, I remember being very, very conscious of all of the language that I might use, any conversation I might have about who I was and where I was and who I was with outside of my immediate uh, army circles and feeling that I, I had to pretend to be somebody that I wasn't. And I recall having a photograph of a, a bloke that I knew, uh, who was a smashing bloke, but I used that picture as to um, avoid the conversation about who I might be going out with. So um, I had a picture of this chap pinned to my notice board in my room at Sanders while I was going through my officer training because it felt like a helpful distraction. And it was something that would say, look, don't, don't look here, look over there. It's okay. That's the relationship that she's in. I remember there being almost a tribe within a tribe, you know, those, those gay women who knew of each other and a, a safety in that space. And, and, and actually, in hindsight, quite a lot of comradeship in that, that safe, shared space, but still a space that was incredibly vulnerable to anybody who might have wished to do harm to any of the people in that group or anybody who felt they might have an axe to grind to say, well, you're doing something that I don't think is correct. And I had the privilege very recently of meeting a number of veterans who had left the army during the period of the ban, so, so pre-2000, some of whom had left of choice, where they just felt that the manner in which the army was conducting itself wasn't for them, because it, the army would not permit them to be their, their whole selves, and you know, would not permit them to be gay, so they were keeping themselves secret. And then I met a number of people who had been discharged from the army as a result of their homosexuality. And I was really shocked and brought down to earth by their stories and explanations of what a terrible time they had had at the time and the incredible impact, incredibly negative impact that that treatment had had on them for the rest of their lives. And so whilst I can reflect on 1995 from my perspective, I think it's really important that I also reflect on 1995 and the years that went before that as best I can through the, the feelings and the experience of those who, who weren't as fortunate as me, who weren't able to continue with their service. Thank you for sharing that. And it must have had quite an impact on your career in the early stages, knowing that it's as if you're living the two lives in parallel. What impact did that have on you personally? It felt as though, exactly as you said, it felt as though you were living two lives. Because I think we could all picture, so we're recording this on a Monday, I guess we've all had those Monday morning conversations today that were along the lines of, what did you do over the weekend? How did it go? Did you have fun? And I remember being surrounded by people who would say, well, at the weekend, I was out with my wife or girlfriend, Stephanie. I shared this experience with them when we went to this concert or to this cinema or this performance, and we had a great time. But my Monday morning conversation was, I had a great time. I, uh, I played some hockey. Uh, I went to a pub. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. 
And my conversations were all entirely agnostic of who the people were that I was with, any feelings about how that weekend might have played out uh, and any places that I might have been. And so it felt like a really sheltered existence where the very people that I had signed on a dotted line to say that I would fight alongside, sacrifice myself to protect were the very people that I was lying to on a weekly basis. Now, over 20 years ago, the ban lifts in 2000. What a moment in history and for us individually. What did that mean to you in that moment? At that precise moment, whilst it was an enormously momentous occasion, what none of us could anticipate was how our colleagues would react to that change. So where by fact in 2000 the ban had been lifted, having lived a life of self-preservation, of maintaining a level of privacy and secrecy, it was really hard to take those first steps of then trusting the very people who would now know that I'd been lying to them. But when I look back at the transition from 2000, as with all things, trust takes time to grow. And as I came to trust close colleagues and I met new colleagues and times changed and people were, became more outspoken about their support for the LGBT plus community, bit by bit, I think I, and I suspect others, felt safe to share a little bit more information. And so whereas I, pre-2000, if you'd have asked me who I'd have gone out with, I would just have lied to you and made something up or said I wasn't seeing anybody or whatever it would be. Post-2000, I adopted an approach of if somebody asks me and I trust them, then I might explain a little bit. But I would always have to ask myself that question. To today, where I recognise the importance of those with whom I serve, seeing somebody with a level of seniority and seeing someone with an amount of service, being deliberately and overtly confident and comfortable to say, I'm delighted to say that I'm married to my wonderful wife, Nikki, uh, and I'm delighted to let people know about the life that I'm able to lead because I believe that if people can see that I am comfortable and confident in that space, I hope that they can take confidence for themselves and perhaps speed up that process of gaining trust in the people with whom they share their working lives. So you have a wife and a dog, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. What's it like for your for your wife to be part of this community as well, being part of the army as a partner? I hope uh, <laughs> she would say that I know that she would say that she has always felt welcomed, always felt recognised, always felt treated as we would hope for anybody's spouse to be welcomed and treated in the army. The moment that I realised how far the army had come was just before I finished up in my job as a CO for leave and we were, I'm not sure you can elope at the, our advanced age, but we were running off to New York to get married and all of the officers in the battalion had remarkably kindly put together to, to buy us a wedding present. And I, I suspect that they didn't realise quite how significant that felt. For the thing that we would have done for anybody in the battalion who was getting married, for that to happen for me when I was in a gay relationship and I was going to New York to marry my wife, which is something that the army, this is 
quite a few years ago now, but the army perhaps didn't talk about very much. The fact that I then felt seen, I felt welcomed, I felt understood, and Nikki was part of that journey. It's quite powerful, I think, to recognise how much that, that genuinely matters. And a real moment of acceptance that yeah. we all always strive for wherever we go. And when I was learning more about the LGBT plus networks and the army specifically, there was a phrase, bringing your whole self to work that kept cropping up. What does that mean to you? Because that hit me in the soul a bit. It was really powerful in itself. In the thinking that I've done about it, I think what I've realised is how much effort and energy and brain power it takes to pretend to be two people. So if I rewind again to you know, pre, pre-2000, I was consuming effort and person bandwidth trying to pretend to be somebody that I wasn't, trying to remember who I had told what and when about who and, and which version of the truth I'd given to that person and, and which version of the truth I'd given to the other person and trying to knit all those stories together to remember the person that I was meant to pretend to be. And so I wasn't bringing my whole self to work because there was a bit of me committed to making myself be somebody else. But now I do bring my whole self to work and I can be as humanly me as anybody else can be. I can have the Monday morning conversations the same as everybody else would have. And all of me can be committed to living the best life that I can live, the bit of me that's at work, the bit of me that's at home and knitting all of that together so that when when I'm present in the workplace, I'm wholly present. It is the whole authentic me that comes to work for all of the good and all of the bad, but without any of the split personality uh, and any of the stories that I had to tell to fit in. For good or for bad, people just get me. And I think that makes me more effective at work. I think it makes me more comfortable at work. It makes me happier at work. Uh, It means that I can commit wholeheartedly and wholeheadedly to delivering the thing that the army needs of me. Thank you for being so open and sharing that because I see parallels from when I joined the reserves. It took me a good month or so, not to come out, so to speak, but to just slowly reveal who I was. I don't know why I was worrying. The reaction was exactly as I expected. It was fine. No one really cared. I was who I was. But that lift of weight that you you hold and, like you say, mental bandwidth that you use trying to hide something just goes away and then you can really put your all into your career and even socially as well which is a big part of what we do in the army now i would like to pick up on the time where was am i right in thinking that you did phase one training for for a bit of time as a as a company commander yes i worked at the army foundation college in harrogate what was it like knowing all these fresh soldiers and fresh minds coming through you know that the army is a way better place than it used to be for them. How, how did that feel for you knowing their destination was a, a safer environment for those who might have been part of the community or not? Working with junior soldiers, so 16-year-olds, is such a amazing experience. They are young people that come from every background, every walk of life, so many of whom come from amazingly supportive backgrounds, but some of whom come from really challenging backgrounds where... I found some of these young people had never succeeded in anything before and had never felt the glow of somebody who they respect saying to them, that was amazing, do it again. 
And what was fabulous about having the confidence to welcome them, welcome them into the army was knowing that the place they were coming to and the environment in which they would be nurtured, mentored and grown was an environment in which they, again, could bring everything about themselves, be open, be honest, be welcomed and be supported. And the progression that we saw in these young people was just incredible. And I've bumped into some of those then very junior soldiers, but now much more senior soldiers over the years. And, and I've seen the incredible impact that that uh, life-changing experience of going through um, the combination of military leadership and educational training at such a young age and the transformative effect that that's had on those young people makes me really proud of what the army can do to help people make the very most of themselves. And the word transform is something that the LGBT plus networks do a lot of within their services. You chair the army LGBT plus network, but what is the network? What does that involve? What does it do? So first and foremost, we are seeking to provide the opportunity for those who are in the army to have and who, who are part of the LGBT plus community to have a group of people with whom they can share their experiences, share their aspirations and dreams, and also, of course, uh, share any concerns that they might have. We also provide support to the Army's chain of command with some advice around the development of new policies and identification of areas where the Army might wish to focus its future work. And we also are engaged now in the development of the Army's response to the LGBT plus veterans review that, that will be released shortly. Uh, and we're very clear that we want to have a, an active role in doing whatever we can, both to support those now in service but also to support those who might in due course hope to reconcile themselves with the army as a result of their, after their discharge from the army pre-2000. So quite a mixed responsibility and a responsibility that as a network we take incredibly seriously to make sure that we can provide for others the career opportunities that I have enjoyed and, and others in the network have enjoyed. And what's lovely to see is you're not siloed as the army LGBT plus network, you share experiences across all the services. Can you tell me a little bit about that? We, we do. So there's, there's a fantastic pan-defence multitude of individual defence organisation networks that all come together uh, to constitute Pride in Defence. We have a number of opportunities during the year to, to bring that wider community together, uh, not least of which it will be London Pride on Saturday the 1st of July where we'll see uh, single service contingents uh, and single organisation contingents from all across defence industry uh, and the uniformed defence participate in London Pride. Uh, those of us in uniformed organisations will, will march in uniform uh, and will be joined for the second year and, and deeply honoured to be joined for the second year by a group of our veterans supported by a charity called Fighting With Pride who are providing an in incredible service to our veterans to help to support them during some really really challenging times and then we hope in due course to to support a level of reconciliation between the, the serving army and, and our veterans so london pride will be an amazing opportunity it's just the most incredible event let's stay with london pride because i remember being at london pride whilst i was at uni wasn't in the army i was total civilian and the moment i noticed the military parading i was shocked in a good way and really proud you must have been proud leading that. 
it catches me by surprise each year, if I'm honest, because any of the contingents that participate in London Pride, whatever organisation they might represent, get an incredible welcome from the crowds in London. But as the uniform services march down whichever street it might be, the noise, the applause, the cheering from the crowd is, is almost deafening. And it's quite an experience to have gone from a position of hiding the part of myself that was you know, the, the gay bit of me or the identity that, rep, that, that I represent as a gay woman to get to the point where those of us who are on that parade are in uniform marching to represent the army and to show the country and all of those other nations that might be watching it that we have a defence organisation that recognises us for what we are and supports and applauds us for what we are. And so it's, it's genuinely an incredible, it's an incredible day. Um, it's a really uplifting day and it's a fantastic opportunity to hopefully you know, show the, the future you and those people who might be there that you know, this is real. This is an organisation that, that welcomes you for everything that you are, your whole authentic self. Exactly. And a big part of London Pride and other Pride events is allies. They support what we do. They support us as humans. What is an ally and what does that mean to someone like yourself? So in its widest sense, I think an ally is somebody who's prepared to stand up for somebody else at a time of risk or danger. I think for the LGBT plus community, it's somebody who is prepared to listen differently. If they're part of a conversation that uh, would feel uncomfortable for a member of the LGBT plus community, they won't wait for a member of that community to speak up. They would speak up on your behalf and on my behalf. Um, they will advocate for our success. They will check the behaviours of others if there are individuals who might, through some kind of you know, misunderstanding or misjudgment, be expressing a view that is not appropriate to support someone from the LGBT plus community. And that allyship, I think, expands to every type of person and organisation, perhaps around sexuality, perhaps around gender identity, perhaps around gender itself, maternity, paternity, disability, ability, whatever it might be. I think we can all be allies for each other. And it's about recognising that my lived experience is different to yours, but valuing your lived experience just as much as mine and, and not making assumptions about what you think and not making assumptions about how you feel, but being prepared to stand up and say, could you explain that to me? Because I would really like to help. And I think that's what being an ally is all about. And hopefully this is a simple question. Um, it's a short one at that anyway. What does pride mean to you? I think pride means to me confidence happiness and a sense of self that means that I know that for whatever I bring for good or for bad I'm welcomed for the whole of me. Claire thank you so much for sharing your experiences and allow me to share mine with you as well it, it's, it's meant a lot and thank you for speaking with us it's been been really lovely. Absolutely my pleasure thank you. Mm -hmm.